You know, one of the things I've missed the most during this whole time of quarantine is going out to eat with family and friends. I guess I never had really reflected on it before the shutdown, but looking back, some of my fondest memories as a kid were times of going out to eat with my family. And then Sunday evening meals on our family farm where literally the entire family, upwards of 30 or so people would gather together to eat and just enjoy time with one another. And then this is carried over into my adult life. Many of you watching at some point have probably heard me utter to you, hey, you want to go get something to eat? You know, gathering together is not just about getting our bellies fed and getting around a table is not just about the food that we eat. No, it's about getting our souls fed. It's about connection. It's about relationship. Sharing a meal around a table is about engagement and acceptance of one another. Uh, about a decade ago or so, Harvard Medical School released a study that showed that kids who regularly eat dinner with their parents are 72% less likely to experience depression, struggle with self-esteem, have suicidal thoughts, develop eating disorders, and to use illegal drugs. Meals together are very, very important, which is why it shouldn't really be surprising to us how many stories about Jesus revolve around meals. In fact, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, one of the fascinating things that you'll discover is that almost every single story either has Jesus at a meal, going to a meal, or just coming from a meal. Again, meals are just that important. And the good news I want to share with you today is that Jesus is inviting you to join him at his table. But exactly what does that mean? And who else is going to get invited? That's what I want to talk with you about over the next couple of weeks as we look at a story about Jesus at a dinner party as Luke records in Luke chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just go ahead and click the button that's there in the upper right-hand corner called Talk Notes. And all the scriptures will be there as well as all the other main points I'm going to be making today. Or if you don't even want to do that, the scriptures will be right here on the screen for you. Now, as we start... This story is going to appear that Jesus has just given some random social advice about how to act at a party, but it's going to go much deeper than that. Look at Luke 14, 7 to 11. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, again, at first, this just looks like good practical advice. I mean, Imagine this scenario. You and your family, you get invited to a dinner party, and when you arrive, you can sit wherever you want to sit. And you notice that most of the seats have been taken, but there is a table all the way up towards the front of the room, and so you and your spouse and kids, you just plop down and you're ready to eat. Well, that's not a big deal, unless, of course, this particular dinner party is actually a wedding reception. And then you've just taken the head table that's reserved for the bride and the groom and the bridal party. In that case, it's a pretty big deal. You're going to be, oops, you know, um, didn't, didn't mean to do that. And, you know, somebody's eventually going to tell you, you know what, you don't belong here. Those seats are reserved for the special people. You need to sit way, way there in the back. And then you and your family are going to have to take the walk of shame. Everyone sort of pointing and laughing at you as you walk by. I mean, who in the world do they think that they are? So again, it just appears that Jesus is giving good social advice. But let's keep reading because it's about to become much more than just that. So look at verse 15 with me. After Jesus had finished speaking, one of the guests said, The greatest blessing of all is to be at the banquet 
in God's kingdom. Now, Jesus is about to tell a story of what that banquet will look like, and he's going to shock this man who he says it is that gets invited. Now, before we get to that, though, aren't you glad that Jesus describes what heaven's going to be like to a dinner party? I mean, some of you think that heaven's going to be boring, like, you know, just eternal choir practice or just sitting on a cloud strumming a harp, but it's not going to be like that. I mean, think back. What was Jesus' very first miracle? You remember what it was? It wasn't raising the dead. It wasn't casting out demons. No, it was turning water into wine. And as that wine was handed out to people, they said, wow, this is the best wine we have ever tasted. This is the best thing we've ever had. This whole story summarizes what Jesus' ministry and the kingdom to come is to be like, a place where a relationship with God can be restored, a party, so to speak, filled with joy and laughter, good food and drink, a place of deep connection with family and friends, even complete strangers. I mean, think about the best party you've ever attended. What was it like? Whatever it was, that pales in comparison to the eternal party in heaven that Jesus says is yet to come. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that. But again, back to the story, Jesus is about to shock this religious man by the statement he's going to make of who gets invited. Look at verses 16 and 17. Jesus replied to the man by telling a story. A man once gave a great banquet and invited a lot of guests. When the banquet was ready, he sent a servant to tell the guest, everything is ready, please come. Now, to understand this, you have to remember that in that day and time, they didn't have things like refrigerators or freezers to preserve food and then microwaves or crockpots or stoves or steamers in order to heat everything back up. So what they would do in that day and time is if you're having a big feast, you would actually send out two invitations. The first invitation gave a window of time in which the feast was most likely to start. And by window, I'm literally talking upwards of a week. In other words, if last week for my birthday, I decided to throw myself a party and I had sent out invitations, it would have said something like this, come to my birthday party. It's going to start anywhere between June 13th and June 20th. That's a pretty big window. Basically, what this first invitation does is it's kind of a, a save the date kind of thing. It's saying at any moment during this window of time, you should be ready to attend. Now, once everything was ready, then the host would send out a second invitation saying, okay, now everything's ready. Everybody come on over. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here in verse 17 when he says a, man's once, a man once gave a great banquet and invited a lot of guests. Now, each of those who were invited to this party, Jesus makes clear, had said yes to the first invitation. But now that the second invitation comes, watch what happens. Look at verse 18. One guest after another started making excuses. The first one said, I bought some land and I've got to look it over. Please excuse me. That doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, first of all, who buys expensive property like land without having first looked at it? Second, I mean, can't looking at it wait until tomorrow? I mean, after all, it's just land. It's just dirt. It's not going to change. I mean, you've already bought it. It's not like it's going anywhere. So clearly this was just an excuse. Verse 19 then. Another guest said, I bought five teams of oxen and I need to try them out. Please excuse me. Come on, man. I mean, in that day and time, five teams of oxen would have cost the equivalent of two and a half years of salary. Here in Dauphin County, where we live, if you make even an average wage, that would be like you saying, Gilbert, I just bought an $80,000 sports car, so I can't attend your birthday party. I'd be like, really? Uh, what did you buy? And you're like, I don't know. I, I haven't even seen it. I didn't even test drive it. But please excuse me while I go test drive the car. Again, this is obviously a lie. But... In the words of infomercials, but wait, there's more. Look at verse 20. Still another guest said, I have recently gotten married and I can't be there. 
Really? That's your excuse? For those of you that are married, you remember what it was like when you were first a newlywed? For Lisa and I, we survived the first year on frozen chili mac and Kool-Aid. So anytime we got a chance to get some free food, man, we were there. So this is yet another lame excuse that somebody's giving. Verse 21 then. The servant told his master what had happened. And the, the master became so angry that he said, go as fast as you can to every street and alley in town. Bring in everyone who is poor or crippled or blind or lame. Two shocking things in this story. First is the original people invited decided not to come after they had already said yes. Second is that the rich guy says, okay, if they won't come, then fill my house with others from our land, others from our society, who either intentionally or unintentionally have been left behind as if though their lives don't matter. Verses 22 and 23. When the servant returned, he said, Master, I've done what you've told me, and there's still plenty of room for more people. His master then told him, go out along the back roads and fence roads and make people come in so that my house will be full. Now, this was scandalous to the Jews hearing the phrase back roads and fence rows, or as other English translations often say, go out to the highways and the hedges. This to them equated to the moral outcasts of society, the, the prostitutes, the ex-cons, the misfits, the, the rebels of society. But yet in this story, Jesus is saying they all got invited to the party. And now Jesus switches from telling a story to now making a point. Look at his words in verse 24. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. You see what Jesus is doing here and what he's saying? He's saying, I'm the one throwing a party and all you religious people in front of me here, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, you accepted the first invitation. You consider yourselves people of God. But now that I, Jesus, have come and given you the second invitation, that the time is now, the kingdom of God has come, you're all just making a bunch of lame excuses. And so I'm going to invite other people to join me in the mission and for all of eternity. And who I'm about to invite is going to blow your mind. In other words, it was the religious people that missed out on Jesus' invitation. And in today's message, I want to share with you how even today, religious people are still the group who miss out on Jesus more than anybody else. Look at verses 25 and 26. Large crowds began following Jesus. He turned to them and said, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate father, mother, wife, and children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your very own life. Now, for many people, this is very confusing because you're going, Gilbert, aren't we supposed to like love all people? Yet here Jesus is saying to hate them and not just like strangers either. He's saying to hate the, the people that are closest to me. Now, I understand why you're confused, but here Jesus is speaking in comparative terms. In other words, as compared to your love for Jesus, it should almost seem as if though you hate anyone and everything else. Think of it this way. If your house is being robbed and the robber points a gun at your dog and your child and says, I'm going to shoot and kill one of them before I leave your house, you get to choose which one. I mean, the choice is clearly obvious, right? It's not that you don't love your dog, but in comparison to your kid, your love for your child almost seems like as if though you hate your dog. So let me ask you a question today. Jesus is inviting you to be his disciple. He wants you to be a part of his party right here and now and then in the life to come. Are you so committed to him that by comparison, it seems as if though you hate everyone and everything else? If not, he says, then you're not really his disciple. I mean, you said you wanted to. You, you accepted that first invitation, but now you have some lame excuse. Now, let me just say, by the way, that if that's you, it's not too late. As long as you're still alive, Jesus' invitation still stands. 
But let's take a little bit of time to look at how do people get off track. So point number one, I might miss the party if I fail to recognize the importance of the invitation. Now, I want you to notice in the story, none of the excuses were evil in and of themselves. No one said, you know, I can't attend because I've got a drug deal that's going down, or I need to attend a dog fight, or I have an appointment with a prostitute. But yet, the excuses do become evil when they're used to justly, or justify, I should say, ignoring something that is of extreme importance. Let me give you an example. My previous church, we had an administrative assistant who would screen our phone calls for us as the pastors. And so I might say to Jenny, hey, I'm going to be in a meeting for the next hour. Or I'm going to be working on some sermon prep, so I don't want to be disturbed for the next couple hours. And so if someone called me and it wasn't an extreme emergency, she would tell him, sorry, he's busy right now, but he will call you back a little bit later. Those were actually legitimate excuses. But the rule was this. If Lisa called, my wife, I could be interrupted no matter what it was that I was doing. Why? because I recognized who it was that wanted to talk with me. It's the same way with this invitation that Jesus is offering you. You've got to realize who it is that's inviting you, who it is that wants to talk to you, and what it is that he's inviting you into, and, and everything else in the world, and everything else, and, and, and everybody else in the world pales in comparison to him. Let me illustrate it for you another way. Look at this invitation that was sent out before Prince Harry and, and Kate Middleton got wed in 2011. The Lord Chamberlain is commanded by the queen to invite, and then there's a space there for the person's name. Now, I think my invite must have gotten lost in the mail, but for those who did receive it, I wonder how many of them said, ah, oh, man, bummer, I I've got some oxen I need to check on, or I have a new piece of land I need to go see. No, if the Lord Chamberlain, whoever Lord Chamberlain is, was commanded by the queen to invite Gilbert Dennis Thurston III to Buckingham Palace for the wedding of William and Kate, or heck, I'd even settled for Harry and Meghan, I'd have been there, oxen or no oxen, whether I'm British or not. I mean, what an honor to be invited. Well, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, has been commanded by the God of the universe to extend an invitation to you to his banquet. It's an invitation for the lost to be found, for the broken to be restored, the addict to be set free, for the lonely to experience community. This is an invitation for all people, no matter whether you're male or female, no matter your nationality, no matter the color of your skin. Listen, we're all invited. And heaven and hell are real places. And Jesus' invitation for you is, come, join me in heaven for eternity. Again, that's open for all. So don't miss out on it because of some lame excuse. Point number two. I might miss the party if I feel that I'm unworthy. This story Jesus was telling was scandalous because rich people wouldn't invite into their homes the poor, the blind, the crippled, the outcast, the lame, and anybody like that. But yet, Jesus says that's exactly who gets invited to God's party. But my fear is many people are going to miss out because they think, God really wouldn't want me to be there. After all I've done, after all I've said, after all the ways that I've hurt him, surely he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And then almost instinctively, we start to feel that, you know, if I was able to go there, I'd have to earn it in some way. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Have you ever gone to a party where you were supposed to bring something to eat, but then you forgot? I mean, I know I have, and it's embarrassing. And the host oftentimes will even say, ah, don't worry about it. But there's still a part of you that's like, maybe I shouldn't eat anything because I didn't bring anything. I didn't contribute. In other words, since I didn't do my part, I shouldn't get any of the rewards. But you see, with God, it's not like that. There is literally nothing you can do. Nothing you could bring to his party in order to gain entrance. Prophet Isaiah once said it this way, that all of our good deeds and, and righteous acts are like filthy rags in God's sight. 
This is why the message of Jesus is such good news. You see, you and I are the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. You and I are the people that live along the back roads and the fence roads. Yet he invites us into his house and he says, I don't want you to bring anything. This is all my treat. It's my free offer to you. And really, that's what the Bible is all about, that we couldn't save ourselves from our sins. So Jesus paid that debt for us, not because we earned it or deserve it, but rather because he so wanted you and I at his party, and he knew that we couldn't pay the admission price, that he decided to do it for us. So Jesus' invitation throughout his entire ministry was, you come, you follow me, you eat with me, you, I want you at my table. There's one final type of person then that might miss the party. Point number three. I might miss the party if I refuse to admit that I am indeed unworthy. You're going, wait, that's confusing. Well, this is the opposite of point number two. Point number two, you might miss the party because you think that you're not worthy of an invite. Point three is you might miss the party if you don't admit that you aren't worthy of an invite. You know, as I said earlier, it's often religious people who miss out on what Jesus is doing because they've got this overly inflated opinion of themselves and just how well it is that they're doing in life. In fact, I go so as far as to say this. As you look throughout all of human history, those who are closest to the centers of power, religious or otherwise, have often missed out on Jesus because his message, when heard for what it truly is, is the opposite of what they want to hear. You see, what religious people want is a religion that teaches them how to live a good life, how to be social justice activists, how to be generous, how to live your best life now, how to live strong. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is you're a sinner. You have no worthiness. Oh, sure, God created you to be precious in his sight. But sin has so corrupted us in our systems that none of us are worthy to be redeemed. Or redeemed. But the good news is, even though you're unworthy, Jesus came and died for you anyway to save you from this pathetic, miserable, hopeless life that we have. Religious people, though, they, they want rules and regulations and rituals so they can feel good about themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus still wants us to follow rules, but not because we're trying to save ourselves but out of gratitude that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that Jesus took our punishment, not because we're worthy, but because we're so unworthy that that was the only choice possible. George Whitfield, who came to North America in the mid-1700s to preach and sparked what has been called the Great Awakening, basically preached the same message over and over and over again. It only had two points to it. First is that everyone needs to repent of their sins. That makes sense. Second point, though, it caught people by surprise. And that was that people needed to repent of their righteousness. What he meant was you can't be self-righteous. Only Jesus and Jesus alone can make you right with God. Now, as I wrap up today, hopefully, you know, now Jesus' words about where to sit at a party are making even more sense. You see, when you're willing to take that lower place at the foot of the table, in other words, admit that you are the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, Jesus will call you up to a higher place, a place at his party called heaven. But if you think you deserve the seat of honor, then you're going to be humiliated and sent to a lower place. That place is called hell. So this parable of Jesus talking about the lowest place isn't just good social advice. It's about eternal life. So today, no matter who you are or what you've done, you can come to know him. And by knowing him, it's going to cost you everything. Let's look again at the words of Jesus in verse 26 and then verse 27. You cannot be my disciple unless you hate father and mother, wife and children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your very own life. Also, if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple either. The question then becomes, is all that worth it to you? Is it? Let me ask you a couple questions back in return. 
What possibly could equal the importance of knowing Jesus? What possibly could justify ignoring him? Or here's a question directly from Jesus himself is found in Mark 8, 36. Jesus says this, What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world but loses his soul? Today, if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, today is the day to start. And you can do that simply just by asking him to forgive you of your sins and then turning away from those sins, giving him complete control of your life. And so if today is the day you're ready to make that decision, I'm going to ask you right now to, to join me in prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Jesus, so much for who you are and all that you have done for us, that we didn't deserve your love and your grace and your mercy. We didn't deserve an invite to your party, but yet you invited us anyway. And you said, yes, even you, sinner, I love you and I'm willing to forgive you. And so Lord, for those that are watching here today or they're listening, and they've never made that decision, I, I just pray that right now they would just humbly admit that they haven't been perfect, that they are unworthy of your love and your grace, but yet, Jesus, thank you that you're extending that to me anyway. And the Lord, that right now, that their sin, that whatever it may be, would just come into their mind and you would remind them of that, but then remind them that you have promised to forgive them of that. Give them a fresh start and a brand new life. Lord, I pray that right now they would just take some time to say, Jesus, I don't want to remain the same any longer. So send your spirit to live in me, to lead me, to guide me, to direct me, to show me how to live like Jesus. And Jesus, for all of us here, I just pray that we wouldn't keep that good news to ourselves then, that we would be your ambassadors and, and share that good news with as many people as we possibly can. That we would say that the table where Jesus is at, fellowship with him, connection with him, it's available to anybody and everybody, no matter whether you're male or female, whether you're slave or free, Greek or Jew, no matter your nationality, no matter your skin color, God loves everybody. And the invitation is for everybody. And we're all sinners and we all are in need of his grace. So Lord, help us all. Help us all to accept you. And Lord, for those of us that have accepted you, we, we've accepted that first invitation. Help us not to miss that second invitation to join you, that now is the time for the kingdom to come. Now is the time for us to be your hands and your feet and your mouth to a lost and hurting world. Lord, help us not to have lame excuses any longer for why it is that we can't be a part of what it is that you're doing here on this earth. And Lord, help us to, to not have any excuses either of why it is that, that we can't join you for the things that you want to do for all of eternity. Lord, thank you that again, even though we are not worthy, you counted us as worthy. Even though we are unrighteous, you count your death for us as our righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.